childbirth was just appalling. The Queen lost three of her children, not necessarily in childbirth, all of them, but certainly in young childhood. This was, this was a disaster, certainly when her young king-to-be, who should have been Arthur, dies. I mean, that was a disaster to the whole Tudor regime. Hello and Happy New Year from Aspects of History. My name is Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. Today I'm talking with novelist Joanna Hickson, all about Henry VII and Henry VIII, and the woman who knew them both well, Joan Guilford, lady-in-waiting to Henry VII's wife. Now, as we've seen recently in this country, the role of lady-in-waiting is not as easy as it seems. Along with the endless parties, dinners, fabulous clothing, and star-studded guests, ladies-in-waiting also have to navigate all sorts of traps in what has always been a dangerous job. Lady Hussey, the Queen Consort's aide, as you may know, got herself embroiled in a race row and has had to step down. I read an amusing story in the Times recently about Lady Hussey in the early 90s. She was at a drinks party at Buckingham Palace and struck up a conversation with a tall American guest. They chatted about the weather and other such trivialities before she asked the visitor what he did for a living. Me? Well, I'm the President of the United States, answered a somewhat bewildered George H. Bush. Several hundred years ago, committing a court faux pas could have landed the courtier in hotter water than that. In Joan Guilford, the subject of Joanna Hickson's new novel, The Queen's Lady, we have perhaps the most skilled lady-in-waiting from history. She was close to Henry VII's wife, Elizabeth of York. Elizabeth was sister to the two princes in the tower. And then later to Henry VIII. So she was an important link between the two monarchs. We'll hear in today's chat about Henry VII's reign, the loss of his eldest son, Arthur, the experience of women at court, childbirth, as you heard at the top there, and of the youth of Henry VIII. Have we all had a good Christmas and New Year? I hope you had a chance to listen to backlist titles of the podcast. If you can subscribe, I'd be grateful. And if you can rate or review, I'd be even more so. Coming up, I've got the Zulu War, World War I trench warfare, the trial and execution of Charles I, and much, much more. In the meantime, I'll hand you over to me talking with Joanna Hickson. Joanna Hickson, welcome to the podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you on, and we're here to talk about your new novel, The Queen's Lady. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, well, it, it, this is great because um, I've been reading. I, I've been reading the novel, and um, it's it's actually it's a period. I was talking about it's the period during the reign of Henry the Seventh for our listeners, so they're aware of of, of what we're discussing. And uh, I was talking uh, to a um, a friend the other day about we were speculating over who is the greatest king of England or queen. I think Elizabeth always wins the greatest monarch. So I think we were talking more who who is who is the greatest king. Ah, but which uh, Elizabeth are we talking about? Uh, Elizabeth the <laughs> first. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth the first. Yes. Historically, yes. But yes, uh, yes. I think I that think might change in future, don't you? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> Although Elizabeth the first, I would say, had the power, whereas Elizabeth the second. Yes, that's true. That's true. But uh, we were speculating, well, he was suggesting Henry VII is his pick for, for best king. He's certainly mine. I mean, obviously, I, I'm very keen on the 15th century, and I think he's the best, certainly the best monarch in that century. 
um, because you didn't have terribly much to sort of compare him. Mean, a lot of people love Richard III, of course, foolishly. <laughs> we will get on to that. That's very exciting. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's obviously there's a tiny mention of it in here because um, we we talk about it, and I try to avoid it since then in the rest of the book. <laughs> yeah, well, it's you know he does loom um, large. Uh, it's, uh, yes, as you say in the early early stages, but yes, it, Henry the Seventh's reign is 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 quite a well. Let's face it, it's not it's not particularly exciting reign when one compares it to Henry VIII, but he builds up a, a fantastic treasury and leaves England in a very powerful position when he dies, doesn't he? He certainly does. And he did that. Um, what I would say is with rather a, a bad, that was, that was bad in his reign. I think that was the bad section right at the end when he wasn't a very well man, he'd lost his wife, but we're going to the end of the book before we... Yes, before no, we, we shouldn't do that. Yes, it. yes. So let, why don't we just kick off, um, if you just, no spoilers, um, but please, please just give a breakdown of, 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 the, um, of, of the plot, uh, sort of early stage of the plot, because I've been reading it, I'm very, very enjoying it, and I've got loads of questions as a result. Of... Well, well it, is, it is actually um, a sequel to um, The Lady uh, of the Ravens, uh, which uh, was set earlier in, in Joan Vaux's life um, when she uh, first uh, came to England and, and we got we got her all sorted out about uh, where she lived. She, and she ended up in living in the Tower of London and therefore became very obsessed with the Ravens. But that's all happened before. So this this starts really with um, the, the, the sequel. It's, it sits on its own. I mean, you can read it without reading. Well, I have been. Yes. And were you even aware that there was a prequel? Well, the Ravens, because the Ravens feature early on in 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 this one, yeah. I did know that you had written the first one, but it didn't um, uh, it didn't take anything away from. No. So um, so the Ravens, yes, they started off with with their um, with their sort of fear of uh, setting fear into into um, the, the heroine, Joan because she suspects that they know something that she doesn't. And um, it obviously becomes very quickly clear that uh, they did. And uh, uh, her friendship with the Queen, Queen Elizabeth of York, is very important at the beginning of the book. Um, and, and obviously she had been her lady-in-waiting for some years. And uh, I, I think it, it's, I, I find that very sad part of the book in a way. It starts quite sadly because of um, the situation that um, the Queen found herself in when her eldest son died. And, yes. and Arthur. She, Arthur, yes, Arthur, Prince Arthur, who was the sort of um, beam in the eye of, of uh, his father. And he, he brought him up to be the king. And of course, he never was, and and that was a disaster for him, and a disaster for his wife. How how old was he when he died? He was fifteen. Do you know what, Joanna? I was at the British Library the other day for uh, Alexander the Great exhibition, um, and in in their exhibit, they had a fantastic set of armor that was made for Arthur, uh, showing periods of Alexander's as life and and it's just such a wonderful piece I don't know if you're familiar with it but it it just shows how much 
you know, this is just a, a small indication of how much they were um, sort of putting into him, you know. To, yes, the, I have. I have. I don't think I've seen that one. I've certainly seen one of, of uh, Henry VIII's was made for him, which was fantastic. Or is fantastic. I think mm. that's the court old. Um, anyway, uh, yes, they, they were amazing. Um, and of course, but, but the whole point is that Joan um, Vaux, who is the sort of feature of this book, the central, central uh, person, um, she, she was born during the Wars of the Roses. And of course, this book starts at the beginning of the end of the Wars of the Roses, right when, um, well, not this book, but the book pre, pre to this one. And this one then picks up where it's over. So with this book, we haven't got the Wars of the Roses involved. But of course, they still hover in the background. And, and everything that, that was being done in, in England was still being done by a, a new king and a new a regime. And I think that sort of set the tone and, and when the Queen died, of course, it was the beginning of King Henry VII's, he faded after that. He, he was very, very fond of her and she was, they were a very good couple. And although we see a, a slight bit of that at the beginning of the book, of this book, that, that's not what it's about. It's about the sort of success of Henry VII's reign but the fact that he was desperate to keep it successful. And that, in a way, sort of soured him, I think, for um, being a happy person. And, and that showed a lot during the first sort of half of this book, because he, he uh, started to, to become very, uh, what's the word? What's the word for uh, having lots of money? And like King Midas he, Yes, he, 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 he gathers money and he finds ways of getting it out of his courtiers and his senior um, staff. And, and that becomes very serious uh, in the middle of the book for Joan and her husband, um, who is uh, Sir Richard Guilford. And he is uh, one of the King's main uh, supporters. And he, he, he just loses, the King loses faith with him because he thinks that he has cheated him and, and stolen money from his past past sort of storage, and uh, and it becomes very serious in the beginning, in the middle of the book when this happens. And Joan has to fight her way through this and through the fact that he is arrested and and got, is taken to jail. So she, so her she becomes a very um, I think the middle of the book is quite sad really. And then then of course we have the success of Henry VIII who was a very young king. He was only 17, in fact, when he came to the throne, uh, or rather not to the throne, because he wasn't, he was actually 18 when he was uh, crowned. And uh, and then there's there's all the, the Catherine of Aragon saga in there as well. So there's a lot of, of history, which we know very much about, but I don't think we've covered it. I mean, I think this, this particular, particular book covers a, a very interesting section of, English history that doesn't really get a lot of mention and absolutely it's between the death of Arthur and the, the the reign of Henry VIII there is this sad bit in the middle where the king King Henry VII becomes less of a, of a of a good king I think we can probably deal with a few of those of those historical incidents to start with with you know as you say in the wake of the Wars of the Roses 
And uh, the queen, the wife of Henry VII, Margaret, her two younger brothers, I think they're younger, aren't they, um, are, are yeah. the princes in the tower. So there's there's that conspiracy that sort of, uh, well, it's not really a conspiracy, is it? Well, it, no, I, it's not a conspiracy, I think. You see, I take the view um, that if, if you are king, if you are the king, then you are in charge of the country, and he's certainly in charge of the Tower of London, and that goes, that's gone right through history. That and we're talking Richard the Third being. We're the now king talking too. Richard yeah. the Third, and Richard the Third made himself king by. How can I express it? Um, what I would describe as not very nice uh, form of uh, parliamentary use. I mean, he went to Parliament, and he more or less told them they had to pass an act which made these two boys who were the, the right, if you said that Henry the, uh, that uh, Edward IV was the right king, then his sons were the right inheritors. Um, so th what happened was that they were made illegitimate by this new law. And, and that, was, that was bad enough. But then when he let them, he put them in the tower, not, not into the nasty part of the tower, but in, into the very smart royal palace in the tower, I think he never meant to, to let them out. I mean, whether or not he, he wanted to, ha to get rid of them, uh, well, he did want to get rid of them if he possibly could, but, but uh, whether he personally had anything to do with their death, uh, he certainly ordered it because he yes. was the king. He was the yes, only it's... one who could. Yeah, it's unlikely that he he was the one who actually um, uh, oh, killed he, them. Of course, he didn't do it himself. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> they said no. Fight for them and do their nasty work. Now, well, I'm going to take one position. Um, I will play devil's advocate. I am. Uh, let's pretend I'm a member of the Richard the Third Society, and this is all. A, there are you plenty, know, of, plenty of them around, especially in America. Well, I hope they're listeners. Um, <laughs> and uh, let, let's let's pretend that you know I am one of those people, and I, I you know, this is a ter this is terrible Tudor propaganda. And you know, the princes were well cared for, and they must have just died of a, a disease. Or I don't actually. I should hold my hands up. Um, I'm not au fait on the current theories behind um, the Richard III Society's view on what, on, what, on what happened to the princes. But, you know, this is this is Tudor propaganda and you, you're just encouraging it, Joanna. It's terrible. <laughs> well, because I, I, I think the Tudors were, you know, were, were a good, uh, uh, they were a good thing, if you like. Um, they were a lot better than, than what went before. And, and uh, of course, you know, Elizabeth I proved to be a, a very strong monarch. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, the, I see that, that whole sort of period, which was roughly 100, 110 years, um, was uh, a very good time, except for the Mary bit in the middle, when uh, things got a bit hot, if you like. <laughs> very, very, very fiery. So, so I covered all that in the in the period before these two books that I wrote about Joan. So I, I kind of have gone right through the century, and and I think I, this is this is probably the best part of the century. And I I, I didn't want to sort of I did go into the uh, the sixteenth century, but only very briefly at the end of this book, and um, and the, I couldn't resist going to the field of gold in France. So I did do that. Um, but Joan lived a, lo a lovely long life, so there was a lot to write about. I mean, she was an extremely um, well thought of, well educated, 
she, she spoke four languages, which is extraordinary for a woman in, in her time. Um, and among them was Latin, which, which made her um, a very erudite and, and interesting woman to men, not only to, to her own sex, but to men, which, which wasn't easy in those days, you know, because women were considerably inferior, considered to be inferior, really, generally, um, and certainly uh, among those who were uh, educated, the men who were educated. Uh, but Erasmus met with um, Joan in, one, in the, uh, one of the palaces when she was being uh, um, governess to uh, the, the, the royal children. And, uh, and he was amazed by her, uh, clearly, because you know, he wrote letters, letters to, his, uh, to her son, uh, telling him how impressed he was uh, with her and her conversations that he had with her. So, I mean, this is a remarkable thing to have happened to a woman in, in those days. Um, I was going to ask, you know, it would have been quite unusual, um, presumably, for her, for a woman like, uh, you know, a, a woman to have four languages and to have access to such, you know. Yes, um, such, such it, it would. It would well, I think almost she's almost unique, it really, in, in, in that case. Um, and, and the reason she was is because when she was a child, I mean, she was but she was not born, I, I don't believe. I, we don't know where she was born. But I have, uh, so because of the way that history has gone um, and the fact that her parents were staunch Lancastrians and, um, and had to flee the country when um, Queen Marguerite, or Marguerite as I call her, Queen Margaret, Henry VI's wife, um, when they had to flee the country because um, Edward IV had moved in. She was born very shortly after that. So in about um, 1463, I think. But there's no, no, we don't know the very date when she was born. And I believe that she was born in Piedmont. Now, it sounds a wild thing to say, because it's a long, long way from England to Piedmont, uh, in, certainly in, in that period. Um, but her parents, her mother was from there and uh, had come over with her, her father, who was a doctor, to... Queen Marguerite. Um, so, I mean, this is that, that's a, that's a complicated background to start with. But it meant that Joan was born in in Italy and was brought up as a child, very small child, in with Italian, and her grandmother was Italian who looked after her a lot. And so, I and then she she moved into France into Anjou with her father. She went to Anjou and learned French in um, the Duke of Anjou's uh, children's uh, schoolroom, which he had for them. Uh, so that was two languages that she had before she even arrived in England. Then she came to England with her mother when, when uh, her mother brought an army over to try and get uh, King Henry VI back on the throne. And in that very battle at Tewkesbury, her father was killed and her mother, who was still with um, Queen Marguerite, was taken to the tower with the Queen and stayed with her. And so Joan had, had to be put somewhere. She had, so she had to be um, brought up somewhere. So uh, her mother put her with uh, the wonderful Margaret Beaufort. Um, and so there was she living with Margaret Beaufort in her house. And in that house was a wonderful library, and there were lots of uh, people who came in to teach the numerous children 
that Margaret Beaufort actually was uh, the sort of mother to, in a way. Uh, orphan. They were all orphans. You're an orphan if your father dies. So they were all orphans. And uh, and they there were quite a few of them there. So that was all a very interesting background. That was all in the book before The Queen's Lady. But I found that a really interesting period because um, Margaret Beaufort was a very uh, powerful lady in those days. She was another powerful lady. And I think Joan learned an awful lot from her. And she was still very good friends with her. Um, all the way through her her life, and in fact was at her deathbed. So um, there is a good link there. Um, and a lot of this I was research. I mean, this I dug out all this, and that was all fact. So you're talking, you know, about a, a very interesting period in history, which is hardly touched on. Well, I was going to say. So, so I was just thinking that when you were saying that. So when you're researching, uh, presumably this is because it's not widely available in, you know, books that are published by mainstream publishers. You're you're having to do the research yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yes, um, and 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 uh, it's when you find such an interesting character that you tend to sort of go into into depth with it. And I was only intending to write one book, but then um, I, I said to my editor, you know, there's two books in this because there are two definite periods. One, the sort of period straight after um, when King Henry VII takes the throne, and he literally did take it. I mean, you know, he killed off King, <laughs> King Richard and, and took the throne, uh, which, which was a remarkable thing to do. I, I, that didn't happen very often in, in England. Well, you know, you, usurper, it. some might say. He well, uh, yes. I, I don't call him a usurper because, <laughs> because I call the other one the usurper. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there are quite a few usurpers during that period. Yeah, aren't yes, they? yes. Um, so, so uh, anyway, you know, we, we we've then got the second book, and and we should be talking about that because that's well, the no, indeed. But it, but uh, but you, you but it is interesting. You say that you know you're 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 researching um, into. Joan, who has not really been um, been seen that much in, in history books. And so that's why historical fiction is important, isn't it? Because as you've just uh, outlined, this is work research you've done yourself. Mm. You know, obviously, you, you've, you've read a lot of history as well, but the research you've done has allowed you to write a book about Joan, which wouldn't necessarily have been available uh, had you not done that research. So historical oh, no. fiction is just this huge, hugely powerful... Well, it's a hugely powerful tool, really, you know, in, in, in discovering history. I think so. And in, in, of course it is. I mean, we all think that who write it. You know? Well, well so, uh, certainly they do. But there's but, but the reason I ask is some historians take a view that historical fiction is, is almost dismissed as sort of making things up, which I which certainly do. don't agree. Well, we do make things up. Well, um, you know, but, but then you wouldn't. Read, one wouldn't read any fiction, would? No, no. I mean, you know, that's that's what makes them less dry than your average history book. Um, and and we do, and that's that's where I say sometimes you you, you get it a little bit of uh, uh, there's a hole in the story of Joan, which happens when there is no news of her, and that is actually when Richard the Third first comes to the throne. And that is uh, is is an interesting period, uh, and I I did quite a lot on that because I found there was this gap in in what we knew about her, um, factually. That put me because I knew from my research that she had a second marriage, and that that is what half of this book is about. I was able to use the fact that I knew that that happened to find a way of making her known to this 
second man that she married, which we didn't know at all, but I do because I live quite close to where he lived. And his house um, is where she ended up living, um, obviously, because she married him. So uh, that house is called Acton Court, and it's it's not far away from where I live. So I, you know, I wanted to bring that in and bring him in because it's, it's you know, I wanted to get my county in Wiltshire. <laughs> Good for you. That, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, reading it, reading the book, it's interesting how Joan. Joan's relationship with the Queen before the Queen, uh, I don't think we could call this a spoiler because it's um, quite well known, but uh, Henry VII's wife dies um, in childbirth. But but before that, Joan is, she's quite, she's unafraid to give her view, which does cause a problem, doesn't it, uh, with her, with the Queen? Yeah, yes, it does, um, quite frequently. But she's very fond of Joan, and so she she does. But she does tick her off. Um, yeah, there's undoubtedly a mutual a respect. Yes, I think that's right. Um, I don't think that qu the Queen was was well, she wasn't as well educated as Joan, which probably annoyed her, <laughs> um, and and so she wanted to make sure that Joan knew who who was the boss, which is fair enough. I mean, if you're the Queen, you are the boss, and. Um, and it, 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 but right at the beginning of this book, that becomes quite important um, for Joan because uh, she doesn't toe the line always. Um, and so, I, I mean, this is great. You, you need to have friction in your in your stories because otherwise they would be boring, wouldn't they? Um, of course, yes. If everyone loved everyone else, certainly not happens in this book. Uh, but but people think I think uh, that uh, people writing about women tend to sort of think that they can't go to the to war and they can't do uh you know, can't have sort of big uh problems in their lives but they they did i mean i think that the childbirth was just appalling and then the queen lost three of her children not necessarily in childbirth all of them but certainly in young childhood this was this was a disaster certainly when her young king to be who should have been arthur dies i mean that was a disaster to the whole tudor regime do we do we um, know how he died well it, it's disputed i mean he a lot of people think he might have died of tuberculosis but um there was also a lot of sort of flu-like was it sweating sickness there's this sweat or sweat was a bit later um officially but it could have been that it could have been um just an ordinary flu that, that was you know he didn't really manage to, to kick off um it could have it could have been tuberculosis it could he was quite he was quite frail i mean he was always quite a frail boy i think and his father I don't think recognised that because he didn't want to recognize it and he sent him to live in ludlow on the Welsh border because he wanted to, him to learn to be the Prince of Wales, much like what happened to, to our own present king. Um, and, uh, and and he didn't really, I mean, it's it's cold up there. It's pretty cold around here at the moment. Cold, damp, yeah. Cold, damp, and, and, and of course, he may well have not, not thrived on that. Lots of people don't. No, no. <laughs> so that was a shame. 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned uh, contemporary events because we've also had a lady we're meeting recently who's who's come a cropper for um, for for saying mm-hmm. things, and um, I, it made me think during the court uh, life in the court of Tudor court or any indeed any court how actually you're sort of almost treading a fine line um all the time yes lady in waiting for joan yes and joan and joan was particularly good at that actually um she you know especially with with little little well henry when he was young because she she had quite a lot to do with him henry the eighth um because he was um she was governess in in elton palace which is where the younger members of the tudor family um were brought up um, there was a great fr- friendship between, first of all, between Joan's son and Henry VIII, and secondly, because in when she was there, um, a lot of events took place, like the, Princess Elizabeth died um, in, in, in Elton Palace, and that was a sad thing for the Tudor regime. It was a, it was a very interesting period in, in that, it, that isn't um, explored at all in, in history. Indeed, indeed. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, is you've got a very beautiful book cover and you've just shown me the hardback as well. And we have pomegranates all over and pomegranates feature in the novel. And I wanted you to just expand on that for me, please, because pomegranates obviously aren't a fruit and particularly um, uh, conducive to the uh, English climate. I wondered <laughs> the significance of, of the pomegranate. Well, obviously, um, it, pomegranate, um, which I think people do recognise, was um, Catherine of Aragon's uh, emblem. So she had pomegranates all over everything um, because she was Spanish. She came from, from Spain um, and she came from uh, all the way from Granada, which is a very long journey. And it took her a very, very long time to get from her home uh, to actually get married in London. I think it was about a five month journey, which is really, you know, and she wasn't well in the middle of it. And, and I mean, she may never have made it. It was quite a serious thing to do. Um, so the pomegranate she brought with her and she, cause she was so used to um, eating it, drinking. She she had these drinks made for her, which she liked. And um, and she brought uh, two of her maiden maids with her to, who who made them for her. And of course, it wasn't known much in at all in England, um, but she made it known because she had it all over her her emblem. That was, you know, she had it all over her the, her, the walls and her dresses and things like that. Um, and it, it makes quite a, a, a good emblem, actually. It's a good shape. <laughs> well, it's interesting what you were saying about Henry, uh, Joan's relationship with Henry. As you say, she was his governess, but... He the the way you write about him because normally we see Henry the Eighth in you know in the Holbein painting big big you know here am I I'm bully exactly. <laughs> yeah the jolly the jolly king mm. but he the the young Henry that you write about is interesting because he's um, he already seems to know what's required of of being a king and. Joan is early on is quite careful around him even I think he's a 10 year old when we're first introduced to him and Joan is already quite wary of that isn't she yes yes she definitely is although he liked her a lot Uh, I think that was very clear Um, it's certainly clear in my book Um, and I think history was quite clear that he was quite impressed with her um, 
that he, you know, which was unusual in a way um, of, for a boy of his age. I mean, he, you know, he loved all the, all the sort of things that the jousting and the, and the things that he had to learn. He was, he was the right one to be king after his father. I don't think Arthur would have been nearly as good. Oh, but, that's interesting. Well, because he was, he was much more uh, academic. Uh, while Henry was extremely well read, um, but he 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 was also extremely well taught uh, on the on the jousting field, and so he he knew about you know how to how to hold a lance, <laughs> something like that. So um, yes, I, I think that would have been interesting um, had had Arthur succeeded, because I think that Henry would probably have been forced into the church, which would have been disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! That, that yeah, sliding doors. Gosh, quite. It, there he was. He was the king in the end, and uh, and and had, for his first twenty years, he was actually a very good monarch. Um, and he he was a very good to his wife. He loved her. I mean, to a certain to a certain extent, because obviously you don't have to love your wife if you're a king and queen, but you do have to have children, and that was the problem, of course. Um, uh, and he she failed him in that, and uh, he thought it was her fault, and uh, so that was a sad thing. But I didn't go into that. I I no, I, no. I, was, I, I avoided it at all costs. <laughs> Well, I, I was talking to um, an, uh, Stephen Verapen on this podcast a few weeks, uh, a few some months ago, and I asked him, "Was Henry VIII a good king?" And he's not particularly sympathetic to Henry. In fact, he called him a psychopath. Well, he but, certainly was at the end. Yes, I think. He, do you? He, but do you think he was a good king then? Well, he certainly. I think he started as quite a good king. Um, mm. It's just that you know he 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 had that awful fall, jousting. And, and a lot of uh, historians agree that this was the beginning of his uh, bad part um, because he probably had, you know, a very, he was a serious, seriously uh, injured. I mean, he was out, out, for the, out for the count a long time, you know, quite a long time. And uh, he never really recovered from, from that fall. Uh, and and he, he grew much more unpleasant uh, he was a difficult, his temper was bad. He had, and he had bad w wound on his leg, which he, he found extremely galling. He just was frustrated because he couldn't be the, the amazingly, you know, charged um, soldier that he had been before that fall. Mm. Um, and so, yes, I think the last part of his reign was a nightmare. Um, but but the, the first part is, is quite jolly, really. Um, they, he had a good time. You know, he danced and he, he did all kinds of music and he was, you know, he was a good king. Well, why are we talking about Henry VIII when I want to talk about Henry VII? Well, I, 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 Henry, it's impossible to talk about Henry VII without talking about Henry VIII. But, well, let's, but let's go to Henry VII's daughter, Henry VIII's sister, who is important in this book because... Um, she is the link between the throne of England and the throne of Scotland. Um, but she 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 is well, there's a proxy marriage, isn't there? And she's so young. It makes one think about the the I mean, nowadays we it's difficult to project onto the past, but it's a, she's a child. She's 12 years old, I think. She's no, she, she she's 13 when she marries. Um, Joan went with her to, to Edinburgh 
um, to see her through. And she'd promised her mother that she would before her mother died, because her mother died when she was she was just 13, I think. Um, and they they just had the um, uh, proxy wedding in uh, Richmond Palace. Um, that, that made her already um, James IV's wife, uh, James IV of Scotland's wife. Then, of course, her mother died before she actually went up to the real wedding, which was in Edinburgh. Uh, but she did ask Joan if she would um, see her daughter through this, what was going to be an ordeal for a child of 13. And it was, but, but she was quite a grown-up 13, you know, Girls can be quite grown up at 13. Um, she was quite steady and quite and quite bright. Um, and, and she knew what she had to do. But um, her mother had, had asked uh, the king to make sure that uh, if she went as young, he, the king wanted her to go when she was 13 to uh, Scotland because he was doing this amazing treaty that was going to be the treaty forever of peace between Scotland and England. It lasted about a year and a half, which it wasn't really very successful, but this is what he wanted desperately to make. And so he wanted his daughter to go and be the queen of Scotland, even though she was only 13. Um, and and that's, that had had to happen. And she went and, and she was okay uh, about it, as even though her mother had died and she'd had a bad year. Uh, Joan went with her, and uh, although I don't know exactly what went on at that journey, which is a very long journey from London to to Edinburgh when you're riding a horse and, or in a, in a in the best thing possible in one of these nice little carriages, and she had this lovely carriage actually, which she had, which her father gave her some um, horses, special horses, to take her to Scotland. And unfortunately, there was this fire. In, this, in one of the castles where she stayed in Edinburgh, just outside Edinburgh, just before her wedding. And these horses died in this fire, which was not suppressed. These beautiful horses, with which she was so fond, were die, died just two days or three days before her wedding, which was pretty upsetting as well. Um, so she was quite a strong character. Um, and of course, her, her mother had told her father, Henry VII, that he had to tell James IV, not to consummate the wedding until she was 15, which is quite an awkward thing to do. Um, and so they gave the job to Joan, <laughs> poor Joan, <laughs> who was, who was uh, told, you know, more or less to, to make sure that the king was aware and, and had, would comply with this. And how old was James IV? At the, at he the was um, 32, I think. So he yeah, right. He wasn't old, old. I mean, but he was old to her. Well, I mean, in those days, you know, fifteenth century. Is it late, early sixteenth? Thirty-two is is not thirty-two now, is it? Oh no, no, not at all. And and um, you know, but he he was, you know, he was he was a, a man. I mean, <laughs> she yeah, was he... a girl, a little girl. Um, so uh, you know, Joan was given this job to um, make sure that he understood about this. And I, I, I got round this. Um, I, I quite, I'm not going to say what I, what I, what Joan said in my conversation in the book, no. but um, she did manage to, she didn't manage to totally win. Let me put it that way. So um, you might find out when you read. You may, I don't know how far you've got, but uh, people will find out um, what I thought. But I think he did comply um, more or less. Um, 
because oh, there was no child less. until she became, I think she had the first one at 16. So I think he waited till she was 15, really. <laughs> and, and um, well, theirs was an important marriage. It produced James V, didn't it? Who... It did. It did. She lost a lot of children, I don't, you know, the, before that. I mean, James, the... Childbirth in those... It, uh, it was terrible, yeah. Uh, and she, she had, I think there were, I can't remember how many she had, but only one of them really survived um, to become king, which was uh, quite lucky. <laughs> it's, it's, it is, it, it is mind-boggling, and it's something that um, uh, I, I just, you know, it, it's something that... Uh, I guess only more recently are we seeing the, the the severe suffering that women had to go through, I think, because before, you know, we always knew life expectancy was short, but that's the reason really, isn't it? The, the, Definitely. Yes. Um, oh, yes, it is. I mean, there's a whole book to write about that. We're running out of time. And, and are you looking to uh, work on a new story? Ah, yes, I am working on a new story. <laughs> And I've decided, having got to the end of the 15th century and, and put Henry um, into the field of the cloth of gold, Henry VIII, and, uh, and, and, and Joan, I never, I didn't take her to her deathbed. She lived uh, considerably longer than her, much younger than her husband, second husband, uh, which, which was interesting. So, and they apparently had a really successful marriage. I mean, I mean, you wouldn't have thought that that was the case, but it actually was. It was a love match. Um, these things happen. Look at Joan Collins. Um, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I didn't expect Joan Collins to come up in this conversation. <laughs> well, all the Jones, you know. <laughs> of course, yes, it makes sense then. Joan, Joan lived a nice, long old yes. life. Because I decided, having done gone to that end of the fifth century, I would I would I wasn't going to go into the sixteenth century and do you know Anne Boleyn and all that routine because it's all been done so much. So I thought back to the beginning of the century, which is what I started with, because I started with Catherine de Valois, who was Henry V's wife, mm -hmm. and that was the beginning. She was born in fourteen oh one. So I thought, right, well, we'll go back to not quite as far as that, but we'll we'll and we'll we'll do the the rise of the Seymours. That sounds quite intriguing. There's, I think it was. I think it is. I, you know, I'm really excited by it. I'm right in the middle of of the first one, and um, it it take it's nicely set in Wiltshire, in uh, Wolf Hall. It's been wonderful to hear all about. Uh, all about this 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 novel. I well, anyone living around a, a Tudor court who survives with their head and lives to a ripe old age like Joan did uh, deserves all the plaudits they get and certainly deserves a novel such as this. Well, I hope so. And I hope people enjoy it because it, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it shows a, a very interesting person in some very interesting situations in a very interesting century. Thank you very much, Joanna. You're very welcome, Oliver. It's been good talking to you. As I mentioned before, we've got plenty more content coming up as we start 2023 with some great subjects. Please do share the pod with your friends as it really helps this independent and small pod to grow. Thanks for listening in 2022 and I wish you well in this new year. Thank you and good night.